Today on our men's lunch, we're going to continue uh, our look at the life of Paul. We've been looking at great men of the Bible. We've moved uh, over several months through the, the lives of several men. Uh, we're going to continue our look at the life of Paul. And let me just say, uh, starting off today, that my hope is that our study of all of these men uh, is not just informative, uh, that we would come and sit and listen. Sometimes we think, well, it's like a TV show. We'll come and we'll sit and we'll listen and, we, and we'll gain some information. Uh, but my, my prayer, my goal is that our study would be transformative, that we would come and that we would actually be changed, uh, that we would be encouraged, that we would be taught, actually transformed in the hearing of the Word of God. And, and listen, uh, that is possible. I believe that is God's intent. And so my prayer is that we would actually be transformed in the hearing of God's Word. Understand, as we look at these men, sometimes we think, you know what, uh, man, they're, they're, that's Moses and that's Abraham and this is Paul. Uh, understand, these are men like us. Uh, like them, God has a plan for us as well. And so uh, the, the, the hope is that we would also stand up and we would step up and we would walk out in obedience to the plan that he has for us. Do you understand? That's the possibility. Do you understand? That is how we glorify him. God has a plan for you. He built you for something. There's things you can do that somebody else can't do. The greatest thing, the most awesome thing is that the men in this room would be transformed by the word of God, uh, empowered by the spirit of God, and, and live lives transformed, changed, pointing to the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, we're going we're gonna to continue our study looking at Paul. We're in our third week uh, in the life of Paul. If you remember, so far we have seen uh, the first thing, that he was totally given to Christ. And that, that is a huge thing, and that's, that's got to be the starting place. Uh, that's got to be something that we are in awe of. He actually absolutely held nothing back. Sometimes we think, you know what, we're all in, but we keep parts of us in reserve. He was totally given to Jesus Christ. Remember he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, you know what, if I live, it's going to be on the cause of Christ. It's going to be for the glory of Christ. It's going to be as an ambassador of Christ. And if I die, you know what, I'm going to go see Christ. And so from start to finish, he is consumed, he's totally given to the cause of Jesus Christ. He is surrendered to Christ. What an awesome thing. Then last week, we saw, we looked at the very start of the story of uh, the Apostle Paul. We have to go to the start, but we saw a pretty interesting thing, and that is that he was, he was always a fighter. He was smart. He was dogged. He was committed. He was always a fighter, but he was fighting for the wrong cause. And, and we saw that. He was always zealous, but he was missing the truth. And that's what we're going to move to today. He was always zealous. Uh, he, was, he was defending what he knew true to be God, of God. He was a, zealous for the cause of Judaism, but he, but he was fighting the wrong cause. Again, I ask the question, I wonder how many of us are chasing the wrong things. And here you come and you're working and you're striving. And whether you're aware of it or not, you're giving up this day and you gave up yesterday and you gave up last week. You can't go back to that. You can't do that over. I wonder how many of us are chasing things that do not matter. Chasing things that aren't going to be eternal in consequence. Well, understand, 
That was Paul. He was committed. He was a zealot, but it was for the wrong cause. Uh, he was missing the truth. Well, today as we, as we move along, we're going we're gonna to look at a whole bunch of verses today. We're going to see his radical change today. We're going to see his day, his days of transformation in our verses today. Now, I'm going to read, uh, I'm, I'm in Acts chapter 9. I'm going to read a whole bunch of verses. I'm going to explain some of those verses as we move through them. Uh, but then I'm going to pull out three things in conclusion. Now, I could have pulled out 20 things. There's some awesome things here in this account. But I'm going to explain as we go through the verses. And then I'm going to pull out three things in conclusion. All right? Listen to the account starting in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says this. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Remember the context here. After the death of Stephen. Now remember he held the coats of those who took the stones and crushed Stephen. Uh, after that event, uh, Paul, Saul, actually goes on a rampage. And I don't, I don't know what else to call it. He is consumed with stamping out this heresy. He is, he is consumed with, with stamping out what he considers his false teaching, even to the point of death. And after he sees the crushing of Stephen with these stones, he's, he goes to house after house, and the Bible says he drags out women, and he drags out men, and he, he puts them to death, throws them in jail. It says he breathes out murder, willing to kill those that are opposed to what he calls uh, the true cause of God, what he believes in Judaism. All right, verse 2, that's the context. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, verse 2, and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Understand Christianity is spreading uh, the main reason that is spreading is because of the persecution against the church. As they would push them down here, they would shoot out and go somewhere else. Uh, the, the Christianity we know is spreading in Galilee. It's spreading in Samaria. Uh, it is spreading here in Damascus. And so Paul sees that. And I, I want to tell you, his, his guts uh, can't stand that. Uh, it, it's here in Jerusalem and we're dragging them out, but it's not enough that I can't control just what's happening here. I want to control what's happening out there. And so he says, give me authority to go to Damascus. There's a revival going on. There's a movement of God going on there. And, and let me grab those folks and let me bring them back to Jerusalem as well. The high priest agrees and gives him the papers. Verse 3, as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He has an entourage with him. He's making his way there to Damascus to, to carry out his, his plot. Um, in other places in Acts, two more places in Acts, also in, in 1 Corinthians, it says that it wasn't just a bright light that he saw, but it was Jesus himself in great radiance that he saw. He's making his way to Damascus. He's almost to Damascus. And Jesus himself in, in great radiance appears to, to Saul. Now stop right here for just a second. I, and I, just, I think of some things as we go through the account. Do you know the last recorded person to see Jesus was Stephen? 
Stephen is stoned and they take the stones and they crush him in and as, he, as he's dying it says that there in heaven he could see Jesus and Jesus stood up. It says he stood up and received him. The last recorded person to see Jesus was Stephen. And I think how crazy that the next recorded person to see Jesus is the guy that held the coats of the men that stoned Stephen. He sees Jesus. He appears. Listen to verses 4 and 5. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Verse 5, and he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now I want you to see two things here. First is this. Today, be sure, then and today, be sure of this. To persecute the church, to persecute the messengers of the gospel, to persecute believers for the sake of the gospel. And you can, you can understand that word persecute any way you want to, to, to hinder them, to hurt them, to ha- harm them. Christ makes it very clear is to persecute Jesus himself. That's, that's what we see here in these verses. It's that big of a deal. You know what? I, I came and I, I thought this guy here was in his house and he had this false religion. You know what? To persecute that believer is to persecute Jesus himself. You know what? It's the same today. To hinder those, to hurt those, to persecute those for the cause, believers for the cause of Jesus Christ is to persecute Jesus himself. Let me tell you something. People ought to tremble at that. People ought, to, people ought to have fear of that. And I want to tell you something else. We ought to take great comfort in that. You know what? It's not me that you throw stones at. It's Jesus Christ himself. It's not a church that you throw stones at. It is Jesus Christ himself. We ought to take comfort of that. There in these verses, 4 to 5, Paul says, Who are you, Lord? I, I think that's very telling. Who are you, Lord? He's on the ground. There's this great radiance. Who are you, Lord? I think you already knew who he was. Now, it doesn't say that specifically. I think you already knew who he was. You see, he didn't have to call him Lord. He could have said, who is this? What's going on? Who are you? He says, who are you, Lord? Now, I'm going to tell you, maybe it wasn't yet in faith, and maybe it was in fear, but I, I think already in his stomach it's turning. I know who this is. Who are you, Lord? He knew who he was, I, I believe. And Jesus says this. If he didn't know then, he's about to know now. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I don't know that you could deliver a harder, harsher, more astounding statement to a person. Who are you? Maybe he's defiant. Maybe he's fearful. Who are you? I've got papers from the high priest. Who are you? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. That had to be unbelievable news for Paul. Let me tell you why. It had to be gut-wrenching news to Paul. It, it had to hit him in the core of who he was. You see, he was determined that Jesus was not the Messiah. Listen, this isn't some, I'm out taking down false religions. He knew what they were saying. He knew that they were saying Jesus was the Messiah, that he died on the cross, that he lives again. He was determined that Jesus was not the Messiah. He was determined that this whole thing was a falsehood. In fact, he staked his whole life on it. This is a lie and I'm going to stamp it out. He was determined that Jesus was dead. You know, go back and read the account. Stephen said he's not dead. He's alive. 
You killed him. He's alive. That's why he killed Stephen. That's why they killed him. He was determined that Jesus is dead. The worst news he could have ever received here is that he's alive. He's alive. Can you imagine that? What he just figured out is he is the Messiah. Do you know how how devastating that must be? I've been fighting against God. I've been fighting all of these scriptures reporting to the Messiah. I have been fighting against the promised Savior of God. I see him. He is alive. Can you imagine how that must thunder in his heart? He's alive. I've been fighting against God. Back to the verses. Verse 6. And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. But get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. Verse 7. The men who had traveled with him stood speechless. I bet they did. Hearing the voice but seeing no one. They didn't see Christ. They heard his voice. Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could not see. He was blind. And leading him by the hand, they brought him to Damascus. Verse 9. And he was there three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. He's got to be messed up. His eyes are open. He can't see. You know, he didn't have any defect. He could see uh, three days earlier as he, as he made his way to Damascus. I imagine he is thinking everything through. I imagine he's there and his eyes are open and he can't see. And I imagine he's running through everything he ever has known. He's thinking about what those rabbis taught him. He's thinking of every scripture he can bring to mind. He's thinking about the scrolls that he's seen unfolded and the the prophecies that he's heard. And he's weighing those things out. And he's wondering what is the truth and what's not the truth. And I imagine he's trying to explain it away. I must have had some bad lunch. Maybe a stone fell on me. Maybe I've been hit by lightning. This doesn't make any sense. Maybe this is a ploy of Satan. Maybe this is some demonic attack. And he tries to explain it away. And he thinks of the scriptures that he knew. And he thinks of the truth that held but he can't keep coming back I imagine to the same conclusion you know what I don't want it to be Christ I don't want him to be alive but I saw him with my own eyes he is the Messiah and he comes back well look it makes sense here and it makes sense here and our father's told of this and it makes sense here and I, I remember what Isaiah said and it makes sense here and he keeps coming back to the truth oh I don't want it to be true but he's alive he is the Messiah he's alive and I believe that's what those three days were. Oh, I want to explain it away, but I can't help but come to the conclusion. I saw him. He's alive. He's the Messiah. Verse 10. Now there was a disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here am I, Lord. Notice the difference. Who are you, Lord? Is what Saul says. He says, here am I, Lord, is what Ananias says. Now, I want to tell you, this, is, this evidently was a great man. Evidently, he was a Christ-following man. And most likely, he was a leader there in the church in Damascus. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Most likely, he would have been probably one of the ones that were going to get jerked out and hauled back to Jerusalem. You know what? The leaders of the church, that's who we're going to get. The ones of influence, that's the ones we're going to get. And so this guy says, here am I, Lord. What am I, what am I to do, Lord? This guy most likely been one of the ones bound up and hauled back to Jerusalem. Verse 11. And the Lord said to him. Let me read verse 10 again. 
Now there was a disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to a street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. I, I don't know. I try, to, I try to read the section of verses and see if I can see the point where he passed over to the other side. But I think at this verse, Paul is saved. I think he's wrestled for three days. I think he remembers the scriptures, the teachings he's reminded of. I think he's thinking about the fact that his eyes are open and he can't see. And it says he is found praying. You know what? I think that's the response of a follower of Jesus Christ. I think at this point he's saved. And I think he's praying and he's saying, Lord, forgive me. I don't know all the crazy things I've done and how I've hindered your cause. And it says he is praying. I think he's saved in this verse. For he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. In those three days, he had a vision that this was going to happen. Verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. I know who he is. How much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. He knows he's killed him. He knows he's put him in jail. He knows who he is. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. He's coming here, and I know why he's coming here. It's no surprise to us. Verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Verse 16. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, I want to point out one, one weird thing here. Notice this. This, this is the point where, where Paul recognizes who Christ is, and he has a faith response to Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice what verse 16 said. It doesn't say, be sure and go show him how much favor he's got with me. He doesn't say, go and show him all the many blessings. What a blessed life he's going to have. He's going to have sight and he's going to have these blessings. Then go and tell him all the good things. Never a hard day from here forward. All the stuff he wants. All the prosperity he wants. He's not ever going to be sick. Go and tell him the favor that comes with following me. It's not what he says. He says he is a chosen instrument. And he says he will preach the gospel to the Jews. And he'll preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And he'll preach before the kings of this world. He says he'll carry my name. And listen to this, verse 16. And he will suffer. Go and tell him he's chosen an instrument of mine, but you tell him he will suffer. Verse 17. So Ananias, now this is a bold guy, he does it. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, what a, what a brave thing. You're the killer of Christians. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, he knew who he was, by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, why does he have to go? I believe it's that he would confirm the truth of who Jesus is, that he would confirm the truth of what was happening. And I believe saved, he is then filled with the Holy Spirit of God. That's what the Bible says. Saved, he is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Verses 18 and 19. And immediately... They, there fell from his eyes something like scales and he regained his sight and he got up and he was baptized and he took food and was strengthened. Now that's a, that's a tremendous account. 
And there's, there's a lot there. I like to pull out words, and I like to talk about things there. But I want to show you, in, in the interest of time, I want to show you three things from our account today. Three things that we're going to take away from this. First is this, and I think it's a big deal. All salvations require that we see sin, that you see sin, that I see sin. Now let me explain that to you. All salvations require that we see sin. Now what that, what that means is we have to see our sin. Not your sin, I have to see my sin. We have to know the truth of our sin. We have to understand it's a rebellion against God. It's a not trusting God. It's, it's a rejecting God. And we have to understand it's my fault. It's not my environment, not my parents. It's my fault. We have to see our sin. I want you to be sure today the goal of Christianity, and man, this is getting turned upside down. The goal of Christianity is not to make people comfortable in their sin. The goal of Christianity is not to appease people in their sin. And I, I see that today. Folks will say, well, there's the forgiveness of sin. So it doesn't matter how I live. Well, God knows how weak I am. It doesn't matter how I live. And we're making people comfortable in their sin. Listen, that's not biblical Christianity. The goal, the goal of, of Christianity is that we would see our sin. And that we would, we would agree with God and we would hate our sin. I hate it. That we would turn to the Savior from sin. You see, God doesn't want us to see sin to just to let us die in it. He wants us to see sin that we would turn to the Savior for sin, Jesus Christ. Let me, let me tell you the truth today. My sin and your sin, it, it's not trusting God. My sin and your sin, it's rejecting God. It's actually being an enemy of God. The Bible says that. My sin and your sin, it costs Jesus his life. Well, it's just a little bit. He knows how it's made. Jesus was nailed and butchered on the cross of Calvary because of my sin and your sin. All salvations require us to see sin. I want to tell you, you hear a lot of half gospels today. People want to talk about sin. To understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have to see sin for what it is. All right, second thing I want us to see is this. That's the first thing. Second thing is this, and I, and I want us to hear this today too. It's a big deal. All salvations require us to see sin. Second is this. All salvations are miraculous. And I think that's worth saying today. All salvations are miraculous. I, I want to make this point. I, I didn't see Christ on the road to Damascus. I didn't. I, I wasn't driving and a bright light blinded me, and I looked over, and it was Jesus Christ. That didn't happen to me. In fact, I want to tell you, my story is not one like any of this. My story is not flashy. My story is, you know what, I, I grew up in a Christian home, and my dad led us to a place where they preached the good news, the Bible. My dad one day explained what it was to be saved in the living room of my house, not with a bright, glaring image of Christ, but with the gospel of Jesus Christ. My dad led me to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And that was miraculous. Be sure when you are saved, if you are saved, it is a work of God. 
I want you to be very sure it is a miraculous work of God. Sometimes we say, oh, man, I'd have liked to have been on that Damascus road. I want to tell you, when you were saved and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your sins were paid for. You couldn't pay for them. Your sins are paid for, and they were paid in the blood of Jesus Christ. The miraculous, sinless blood of Jesus Christ saved you and me. When, when, when you put your faith in Christ, you're redeemed. A price you couldn't pay. You couldn't get the money. You couldn't get the price. You can't do the work. The price for redemption was paid on that day. You were made right with a holy God. You were made right with a pristine, perfect, holy God. You became new when you were saved. Therefore, for anyone who's in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You had a new heart when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. I want to tell you the greatest of all of that is you've passed from death unto life when you're saved. Well, I, I don't know. I, I don't know about that. Listen, you were dead and you're bound for hell and you've crossed the life by faith in Jesus Christ. Every single salvation is a miracle of God. Man, we ought to start saying that. Well, I didn't, I didn't get what Paul got. Listen, you got what Paul got, a miraculous salvation in the blood of Jesus Christ, the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Every salvation is miraculous. The third point is this, and we're going to be done. All salvations, all salvation result in Jesus being our Lord. Now, I want to explain this to you. All salvations result in Jesus being our Lord. Now, I want you to listen very carefully. We do not make Jesus our Lord, and that's counted to us as righteousness. Now, some, some misinterpret that. I want you to be sure and hear that. We do not make Jesus our Lord, and in that we are saved. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. What the Bible says, we're saved in the faith in Jesus, the, the truth of the gospel. But listen very carefully. Don't separate this. But when you put your faith in Jesus, it is in Jesus as the Lord. If you believe in your heart and profess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord. Listen, you're saved by faith in Jesus. That's not going to change. But when you put your faith in Jesus, it is in the Lord Jesus. Now what that means is we follow Jesus as Lord. Be very sure, men, I want you to hear this. If you profess Jesus as your Savior, and there's a bunch of us that walk out here and say, Yes, He's my Savior. Oh, He's my Savior. I've got eternal life. If you profess Jesus Christ as your Savior and it does not change how you live, it does not change how you talk, it doesn't change how you prioritize, it doesn't change how you think, it doesn't change how you lead in your home. If, if, if you put say, you know what, I follow Jesus Christ and yet you have no concern for the Word of God. You have no concern for the way of God. You're not worried about sin. In fact, you want to be comfortable in your sin. Listen, if you are not following Jesus as your Lord, odds are pretty good. You're not saved. Well, I wanted you to make me comfortable today. I don't want to hear something so rough today. Listen, you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. 
But man, when you've seen the risen, resurrected Savior, if it doesn't make you want to go to his word and see how am I supposed to treat my wife and how am I supposed to raise these kids and how am I supposed to operate in a corrupt, messed up society, if it doesn't change, start to build how you think and how you talk and the language you use, maybe you've never seen the risen, resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, we're not saved by making Jesus the Lord, but when we're saved, Jesus, we recognize him, we submit to him as the Lord. Read, read these accounts. Paul stands up and he follows Jesus as his Lord. I, I was trying to figure it out today. It looks like about 32 years. He walks out of this event and he goes about 32 years. And he takes trips where he's hated. And he goes to places where he's outclassed. And most of the folks where he goes, he's outnumbered. And he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he will be my preacher to the, to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And he'll preach before kings for about 32 years. That's what he does. I wonder, 32 approximate years later, Paul has preached the gospel. Paul has told of a risen, resurrected Savior. Paul's made it clear we're saved by faith. Through grace, no work of man lets any man should boast. Paul has said, if you profess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Paul has said, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Paul said those things. Paul has led many people to Jesus Christ. He served the church at Ephesus. He served the church. He served the church in Corinth. He sent letters back to correct them. Paul has served the cause. He suffered. And about 32 years later, at the end of 2 Timothy, they cut his head off. He says, I've run the race, I've finished the course. They cut his head off. Here's what I wonder. I wonder what it's like when he meets Stephen. wonder what it's like when he runs into one that he held the coats and they crushed him with stones, a believer, a faithful believer, one committed to the cause of the Savior he loved. I wonder what it's like when he sees Stephen. And I, I see the flip side. I wonder what it's like when Stephen sees him. And maybe when those first stones glanced off of him, remember when he cried out in pain? I remember when he, when he was there, I, I, I wonder if he caught a glimpse of Paul. And I wonder what it's like when he sees him. And I wonder what it's like when these two guys stood face to face. I thought about that, and I thought about that. I don't know what happened. Here's what I imagine. I imagine two men that loved Jesus said this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. We're saved not by works. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never put your faith in Christ, listen. Our hope alone is in Christ. And you may not meet him in that way, but I want to tell you, you'll meet him in this way. We serve a risen Savior. And it's no less true today. If you call upon him, if you trust him for your salvation, it's no less true today. You will be saved. You will be saved. If you've never done that, settle that today. If you're here today and you've done that, listen, walk in that. Talk in that. Tell others about that. We have a miraculous Savior, Jesus Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. I'll lead us in a word of prayer.
Let's pray. Dear Father, we come and I'm thankful for such a marvelous Savior. And I'm thankful for such a marvelous salvation. And I'm thankful for my miracle of salvation. It wasn't because you needed me, you didn't need me. It wasn't because I did good things, I don't, I don't do enough things. My best things are but filth in your sight, you tell me. But I'm thankful that you have a love for sinners and you have a love for me. I'm thankful that it propelled you to send your only begotten son, Jesus. And I'm thankful in the greatest display of power ever seen. That Jesus goes to the cross and he carries my filth, my sin, my shame, my guilt. And he dies in my place. Lord, I'm thankful. And I'm thankful that the payment was paid and I'm thankful it was received. And three days later, he walks out of the grave alive. And I'm thankful, Lord, I didn't see you on a road in the light to Damascus, but I've seen you and I know you and I praise you. And I thank you for my miracle. Lord, I pray for some here that don't know you. I pray that in the hearing of the gospel, that this very day might be the day of their salvation. I pray for the rest of us that know you, that we couldn't be the same. And I pray you be glorified through us. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Glad you were here.